0: again with Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church. We are on episode five of the Mere Christianity study. The Mere Christianity study is based on the book by C.S. Lewis. We're recording today on uh, March 29th, 2019. And uh, as always, we welcome you to this virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church and remind you that you can Connect with Shiloh in a variety of ways. If you're in the Southwest Indiana area, Jasper is not far from Evansville, if you're wondering where in the heck Jasper, Indiana is. And, uh, you know, just come see us. We'd be glad to get to know you better. Introduce yourself on Sunday as someone who heard about Shiloh through the podcast. If you're one of the regular listeners, we thank you. We're honored by your your uh, faith in us, and we will continue to do our best to serve you for the Lord's name's sake. So, Bethany, we are on episode five,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're looking at chapter four of Mere Christianity. And uh, basically what we've learned so far is that the law of nature is just, uh, in, in essence, it's just what nature does. And the, the real question then is, is if human nature is somehow different from nature, the the nature of nature (laughs) or animal nature and uh the other parts of the natural order then this chapter takes us into a discussion of the the idea of human nature so what's the what's the high altitude view of the chapter we're about to get into
1: well in this chapter he kind of lewis kind of like tackles a couple of different like views of creation and that's kind of not probably the best word because one of the views doesn't really see it as a creation Mm -hmm. Um, but he tackles two main views and then he also talks about a third one kind of as an after note um, of like how the universe came to be and kind of asks and answers some questions or throws out some ideas and questions that kind of might prove at least one or two of the views to maybe not be to have some some gaps in their theory i guess hmm
0: mm-hmm. and just i think uh, just because of a conversation i had with a listener recently i just want to remind everybody that the gist of mere Christianity is, is that it's an apologetic work. Apologetics is the, is the uh, church word for explaining Christian faith. You know, it's, it's a way of, of, of sort of systematically explaining and arguing in favor of Christian belief. You know, so that, that's apologetics. And what that means to us is, is that we're studying a book that was written to explain to people The very fundamentals of Christianity and why you can trust that it's real and true and logical and reasonable. And and that's the gist of the discussions we're having is we're starting with uh, a a systematic apologetic where we basically first begin with why people do what they do Mm -hmm. and how that differs from other parts of the uh, natural order. So I just like to review that periodically just to kind of help people who are jumping in late maybe that this is the gist of the book that we're discussing.
1: Well, and something else that he says in the, near to the end of this chapter that I think isn't a good point for people who are trying to understand kind of what we're talking about right now is he points out that he hasn't even come close to talking about God yet. Yeah. Um, in book one, he's really just talking about this moral law, mm-hmm. which... I, you know, we kind of can look ahead and see that he's going to get to the point where he's saying the moral law comes from God, but he hasn't gotten there yet. And he even says that in this chapter, he says, I'm not even within a hundred miles right. of Christian theology yet. Yeah. Um, and he says, I'm, I'm about to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what he tells you. That's where we're headed. Yeah. But for now um, it's really he, just the most fundamental discussion of human nature, how it's different from the other. Natural order
1: and the reason that might feel kind of heady for some people I think is that it's very philosophical. Yeah Um, And that's just kind of it's it's a brain workout
0: Yeah, and and it's really not you know, it takes people like C.S. Lewis to help us find a way to debate and discuss these Mm -hmm. things That's one of those hard things to to explain to people is is you know in church Sometimes I run into people who will say, oh, I don't do theology. That's, you know, that's for eggheads and seminaries and institutions or whatever. And, you know, the truth is, is just like philosophy, um, our lives are more impacted than anyone realizes by the work of philosophers and theologians. Mm -hmm. People just don't have a direct connection to it, but uh for example the French Revolution was influenced by ph- philosophical thought and our
1: revolution was too
0: yeah and and you know um the Russian Revolution you know we can we can always trace it back to a philosopher or a theologian or someone who is trying to explain the human condition to movers and shakers who then take what they've learned and try to apply it to life mm-hmm. and you know, for better or worse it it can and sometimes it is better, and sometimes it's a lot worse, but that's the idea you know that even even though we don't really know how to relate to someone like c s Lewis because he's this thinker who spends his life writing and studying and thinking and everything, but these are the people who influence the rest of us and give us the language we use to explain why we are doing what we're doing or why we won't do what we won't do
1: and his gift i think is that he makes it so i shouldn't say easy but it's very relatable oh sure i you know his gift he has a gift in seminary
0: i had to read some some theology works that were
1: sometimes you read philosophy and theology and you think that the people writing it like wanted sound they wanted you to hear how smart they sound and not understand right, a thing right. they said
0: and when I say idiotic that's that's what I mean really is <laughs> I think like, I even point of that, uh, but... I wrote a comment in one of my papers in school that could have gotten me a mark down or it could have gotten me a mark up it turned out to get me a mark up because I just made the comment that it seems like an awful lot of these theologians are writing to each other and they're always trying to one-up each mm-hmm. other with new words and You know, and it's like the rest of us would just like to know, what is mere Christianity? You know, what is Christianity? And so here we are back to the topic. So the first question from the study guide is, throughout history, people have wondered what the universe is and how it came about. Essentially, three different views have been held. The third one comes at the end of the chapter. So what is the first view and what does it embrace as true?
1: So he calls the first view the materialistic view, and it sounds a lot to me like current, the current, like, scientific or evolutionary view. Um, evolution as in, like, taking out all idea of creation, because I think that there's a place for some ideas of evolution in the story of creation. But this is, like, evolutionary as in there is no creator, there is no divine hand. Um,. And the reason I say the materialistic view sounds like that is because he says it's the idea that, like, space has always existed. Matter has always existed. Um, we don't know why, but it's always been there. And by accident, I mean, he says it's a fluke. Like, mm-hmm. some matter just happened to
0: start well, being
1: able to think.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's like the fundamental argument of evolution is that somehow you know a rock developed a piece of bacteria that eventually Mm -hmm. became you know thinking human beings yeah it sounds like i'm opinionated here but i and i suppose i am biased at least but i think that the materialist view is pretty prevalent though yes it's probably the one that is still the most common i would think
1: and what what he says that i think is interesting is he says like that means a lot of chances yeah like something had one one in a thousand of this thing had to happen, and then another thousandth chance and then another like mm-hmm. like it would be a lot in terms of probability, sure, and seeing as how we talked about math a few sessions ago episodes ago, and he said that that's a truth,
0: right, right
1: probability would say that seems unlikely
0: yeah i'm i mean really and but isn't it funny though how people who hold a materialistic view some can be as 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 radically devoted to the religion of their materialistic view um what i find is is that people who are really quick to denounce a religious view um in their own way, they are, they are practicing a religion, a a religion called evolutionism, you know, and, and even that isn't really the evolution that Darwin described, you know, it's really more of a hybrid that's developed in society as, as just a sort of, of, uh, uh, cloaked language of hatred for, religion and Mm -hmm. and and religious people in particular i i really would argue that well you know in last week's sermon i said the world hates you because it hated jesus first and and you know at the end of the day people who say you know evolution is the only explanation for anything and you weirdos who believe that god created it all are just stupid well they're they're not really as devoted to their belief as they are to putting down my belief you know and and feels that way a lot yeah and and so it, that's that's a religious argument at best and at worst it's just a mean-spirited sort of classism you know where where one group is saying because we hold a humanistic view we're superior to those who have a inferior faith in a unseen god you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and, and so yeah philosophy so the religious view then, uh, what is that second view then? Uh, the, the religious view.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's Dole. just, I basically, it says that there's a mind behind the creation of uni- the universe. Um, that it's, that, that there's consciousness and therefore
0: purpose. hmm um, I mean, it's really pretty straightforward. There's not much more you can say yeah. about that, except that. Well, so question three, some biased, maybe modern views often say that human knowledge has progressed from the theological to the philosophical to the scientific and that the best explainers of the universe today are no longer clergymen or philosophers, but scientists. But what exactly can science tell us? i think i was just talking about that
1: well well and i really like what he says because i ended up i think i wrote yeah in my margins i wrote that at the end of the day the questions that would be put forth to science really can't be answered with science and that's what he's arguing Mm -hmm. it's still philosophical so he talks about how like science answers finite questions Mm -hmm. um so like like, if you want to know what's happening in the sky at a certain time of day, mm-hmm. you point your telescope at it, you watch, you observe, you write down your observations, you're answering a finite question. And and he says, like, yeah, science... Well, I'm thinking, like... Because I love science. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: science, you know, you put forth a hypothesis and something happens. And even in my science, psychology, this is what we do... And sometimes you get a finite answer. Sometimes you don't and then you create theory. And unfortunately, sometimes theory sometimes, um, like the theory of evolution. Somehow people determine that it's finite fact, that it's law instead of theory. And I think what he, you know what he's saying is like science, sci- the job, so he says like the job of science is experiments. It's how, watching how things behave. It's answering specific questions and even if you ask someone who's a scientist they would say yes like that's that's the job of science but then he says like if you're but the if the questions you're asking are like why is there a universe why does it go on as it does those aren't questions science can answer even if science is complete like even if every question in science has been answered you can't answer those because you're asking why you're asking like wise are to me wiser philosophical questions always being
0: driven down a irresistible path here so douglas adams author of one of my favorite books the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy wasn't wasn't a bad theologian himself he he had quite a, a bit of training in that area and so he, in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he tells the story of some people who wanted to understand the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. You know, what is the answer to the why, basically? Mm-hmm. And it took them millions of years to build a computer powerful enough to answer this question. And then they put the question to the computer and it was called Deep Thought. Yes. And Deep Thought worked on it for millions of years, and finally, they, uh, the, the descendants of the scientists, went to Deep Thought and said, "Are you ready to give us the answer now to the the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything?" And Deep Thought says, "I am ready to give you the answer." to the ultimate question of life the universe and everything and they said oh great deep thought thought then what is the answer to the ultimate question of life the universe and everything and deep thought said 42, 42. <laughs> and that just really sums up what you were just describing and what what Lewis is describing is that science will give you a quantifiable answer yeah. even to the unquantifiable
1: well, yeah, like, I think it you can know, answer the what, the when, even the how sometimes, but it can't answer the why or, like, the meaning part, like.
0: Yeah, you know, so 42 is a quantifiable answer. And, and of course, for the sake of those who haven't read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, eventually they decide that they need to ask Deep Thought to go back and review the question because they don't even understand how it got the answer that it got and so it works on that for millions of years mm-hmm. but it never did come up with an answer because the universe ended before yeah. it actually had a chance to tell them what the question really was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that is Douglas Adams' <laughs> ingenious humorous way of explaining what CS Lewis just explained. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. answer the why with science.
1: Which is why we need philosophy and theology and
0: Right. So, pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, question four, what other one thing and only one in the whole universe do we know more about than what could ever we could ever learn from an external scientific observation? And how do we know it? Ourselves. Yep. Because
1: we don't just observe ourselves, we are. Which is very philosophical. I think, therefore, I, <laughs> I am. am. Um, yeah, but if that's what he's saying. Is like we can observe all kinds of other phenomena in the world around us, but we can only observe. We don't. We don't truly know it because we aren't it. Mm-hmm. But we know ourselves at least the best we can.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the the um, the sense of being, which is what. I think therefore I am is it's like a um, having a sense of being is where we are different from say your dog or cat Mm -hmm. Uh, self-awareness would be another way of putting it and what's really ironic is is we can all relate to the concept even though or let me put this another way we all experience it even though we can't really find a way to explain it And, and what I mean by that is is everyone thinks about themselves as though they are an observer and as the person themselves. So we're both being and doing, Mm -hmm. you know, we're doing our life every day. And yet we have this sort of secondary observation of our doing that involves our being where we're thinking about who we are and why we do what we do and we, have, we observe ourselves in the same way we observe other people, you know. Um, I can talk about what I like about you, and I can talk about what, uh, what you think and what you say that, that, that impresses me. And I can also talk about what I like about me and what I think and say that impresses me, you know. But I can also just go about being who mm-hmm. I am <laughs> and not with any particular consciousness of it. You know, I've always marveled when I'm driving down the highway or the road or something and I see two dogs walking together uh, 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 through a, a field or something. I've always marveled at that. And I'll tell you why. Because you just see these two dogs who are clearly doing something that seems purposeful to them. And and more often than not, it'll be like, you know, uh, just to, to make the point, you know, a bull mastiff and a terrier walking side by side, you know what I mean, through a field where you got this great big old dog and this little itty bitty dog and they're just trotting along, you know, tongues hanging out, just trotting along tails up. They're on a mission. They're going somewhere, they're doing something and they're doing it together. And, and of course we want to add all these human qualities to it. We want to imagine them talking to each other, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's been done in cartoons and, and everything, you know, but, but what's really funny is, is that if you, could wrap your mind around this companionship you'd be accomplishing really something quite amazing you know because because there's no way that they can really explain that to you they probably don't experience what you think they're experiencing so i don't know if it makes sense where i'm going with this but the the idea the sense of self
1: it's kind of going back to those instincts yeah you know pack it, instincts, you know they're together
0: they they are seem safer together they're not against each other so they're for each other mm-hmm. you know and that's really all there is to it but it's so easy to assign human value to that well
1: and that's he says in the book he says like if an outside observer that's not human that's not man was observing humans they'd be able to see a lot but they wouldn't be able to see that we're governed by this moral law unless they asked and talked to us about it. So the only way for them to know the moral law exists is to go further than observing. So, like, we can observe... he I think he uses cabbages. Yeah. He says, like, we can observe cabbages, but we aren't going to get any inside knowledge from them. Right. And if some, like, alien person thing is observing us if they don't know our language or don't have knowledge of us then they're not going to know that we're governed by a modern moral law because they can't see they can't get in our head they can't see inside mm-hmm. so they can only make outside observations but we know that we're, that all that we're governed by a moral law and it's something we ought to do even if we choose to disobey it right which i did think was really interesting because i i just automatically go the psychology route but but like Like, certain people who have certain brain function disorders. Right. um, Whether that's certain personality disorders or, like, actual brain injury or something. There are certain people who seem like they are very much not governed by a moral law anymore. Mm -hmm. And, And that's kind of, like taking a little side trip, I guess, but that's just really interesting to me, and I'd be curious to know kind of what Lewis would say about that, because, like, certain... Again, I don't want to, like, specifically call anybody out, but there have been people who... Well, I will call somebody out. Jim Jones. Right. More than likely was a sociopath. Right. There's lots... I don't need to go into it all now, but there's a whole, whole bunch of evidence that this is a man who was probably sociopathic
0: this is a guy from the area of richmond indiana Mm -hmm. who eventually created an enclave down in central Um, america somewhere Guyana? guyana and uh jonestown jonestown is what it was called and he eventually inspired 900 people plus
1: forced in some cases and
0: forced some to kill themselves um
1: the, it, you, the know, thing people people. you know, he just manipulated
0: people. When people joke about drinking the Kool Aid, what they really don't realize is what they're saying. What they don't realize is what they're saying is, is that, like those nine hundred and something people who drink poisoned Kool Aid, you know, because their psychopathic, sociopathic <laughs> uh, religious leader led them to yeah. do it. So it's, it's yeah.
1: So. I guess what made me think of that is like there was something broken in his brain and people who are like that because if you had asked him if what he was doing was wrong, he would have said no and it would have been fact to him. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't governed by the same moral law that we are. So I just, I just think that that's interesting. Like that there are people who I guess their, their brains are kind of broken
0: yeah and and
1: not just their brains but like their consciousness
0: you know this is where where uh john calvin and sadly he's outside of say the presbyterian church um people like john calvin or, or john let me start over <laughs> outside the presbyterian church the only thing that most protestants know about calvinism is that they believe in predestination okay calvin taught a lot of great things he contributed much to the to the theological and doctrinal understandings of protestant belief you know but the whole concept of predestination basically says that some people are just not going to get it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: no matter what that, that they're going to be somehow disconnected from the reality some people would just say jim jones was evil And you could argue that if you thought that he had done what he did with malevolent intention. Right. But if he was sick in the head, then what was he really? Was he evil or simply an instrument of evil? Right. You know, we could say that about Hitler, you know. Um, To what extent do some people who do tremendous evil actually have a conscious awareness of it? And this is why I mentioned the predestination idea is... If you believe in predestination, it's a whole lot easier to understand why people like that happen, because somehow they were never going to get it. Yeah. Uh, the The purest definition of predestination, as I understand it, is is that this is God ordained, which is where most of us would disagree. Where where a lot of where a lot of Protestants don't agree with the Calvinist view is that, mm-hmm. that this is all determined by God, and that it's the responsibility. Like like so. What's interesting is, is people who believe in predestination as, as a God-ordained thing still do evangelism because they feel that there are people who are predestined or elect who just don't know it yet. And and so it's our job to help them know it. It's not a bad, I, I don't, I'm not criticizing it as much as I'm saying, when you're looking for an explanation for things like Jim Jones and for Ted Bundy's and and, and, you know, a lot of the other people that, that seem so willing to do evil and feeling no sense of consciousness of it, um, you know, looking for an answer is hard. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I guess we better get back on topic here. This is <laughs> tough. So uh, question five, in your words, contrast the materialist and scientific view via the architect as a wall analogy with the religious human being view via the mailman with a little paper packet analogy. So if you haven't read the book, you're in trouble.
1: Uh, If you have read the book, you might be in trouble because the architect as a wall part is a little hard for me. The mailman thing is not as bad, but he, he talks about how like Well, I'll just read a little section, because he says, If there was a controlling power outside the universe, it could not show itself to us as one of the facts inside the universe. No more than the architect of a house could actually be a wall or staircase or fireplace in that house. Right. So, he says the only way you could, like, expect to see the architect in the house would be, like, the influence... Right. ...of, like, what things look like, and the same thing with, like, the architect... The only way you could see it would be like to behave like an influence to behave in a certain way, and
0: there's something I routinely share in preaching. I try to do it every couple, you know, couple times a year, and I just like to remind the congregation that God is wholly other, wholly apart from that which God created. And I'm always amazed at the people. I don't say amazed. I'm always pleased, I guess, at the people who come to me after I preach that or share that particular part of a sermon, they'll come to me and say, you know, I never really thought of it like that. And and that's why I say it. Mm-hmm. Because one of the first things you gotta wrap your mind around is, is that God existed before the things God created, meaning that God is not part of what is created. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we can't expect to identify with God on every level. We can't expect to to, to be able to comprehend God because we're the created beings, you know, we're the part of the creation, we're not part of the creator in the sense that we are equal to the creator in any way. So the creator, like the architect, exists apart from what is created. And so really, that's why if you're trying to get people to believe in God or believe that all of this is created, the first thing you have to make them understand is is that they're never going to be able to prove the creator. They're never going to be able to scientifically quantify the creator. So
1: I guess where I was confused really was like the question in the study guide. I'm not sure how the architect as the wall thing is the materialistic view. Yeah. Because it still sounds like the opposite of that to me.
0: Well, and I guess in the materialistic sense, it would be that though somehow the wall uh, extended itself. You know, the that there's almost a sense that once there was nothing and then this wall grew out of nothing and then it extended itself into the confines that we would call a house
1: right but that's not really what he says in the book so i was like i was thrown off by the question because i was like to me it sounds like he's saying like this is why materialistic view doesn't really make sense with both of the examples he gives
0: well, and, and we were a few weeks ago in the in the church service, we were talking about the the mountain uh, transfiguration and the mountain top experience. and that basically, it looks like Peter, James and John had the idea that this would be how all this goes down. We create a temple up here. God's in the temple. Jesus is ruling over all of creation from the mountaintop. This makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But that's because humans want God to be that accessible. Because humans want God to be part of the created order because then they can grasp God. And yet, if we ever really had God within our grasp, then God wouldn't be God. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, which is kind of the... I, again, I don't know that I'm helping, but that's I'm, I'm answering the question in my own words. So the other question is the mailman thing.
1: Yeah, which does make sense to me, but it just feels like another example of kind of how the religious view works. Because he says, like, if you see a guy in a blue uniform walking down the street and putting packets in mailboxes, mm-hmm. you're probably going to assume that that's letters or bills or whatever. And the reason you're going to assume that is because when you open the box and take stuff out, it's letters and bills and stuff. So you're going to assume that that's what's in other people's boxes. But on the other hand, like, you shouldn't expect that to be that because they're not, like, they're not yours. So you can't really know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you wouldn't, and because of the moral law, you wouldn't just go and open other people's stuff. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. So he says, like, it kind of is the same thing, like the only packet you're allowed to open the only letter you're allowed to open is yourself so you can find out about yourself but like you can't i don't
0: yeah no i i get it so um anice is like we drove by an amazon fulfillment warehouse <laughs> yesterday it's huge it's one of many it has bazillions of stuff in it when i drive through my neighborhood and i see an amazon box sitting on someone's front porch Mm -hmm. i couldn't even imagine what's in there Mm -hmm. but when i get to my house and i open my amazon box it's what i ordered
1: well and he says like if i if he was to try and get into a stone or a tree he wouldn't expect to find the same thing as he would find himself just like he wouldn't expect to find letters in other people's boxes that are what he was anticipating like you just said but he would expect that like the rock follows the law of gravity Mm -hmm. because he knows that and so I I like what he says at the end of the paragraph because he says but I should expect to find that there was so to speak a sender of letters in both cases a power behind the facts a director or a guide so like the law of gravity applies to the stone just like the moral law applies to humans. And we know that because we are, and we know we have the moral law inside us and that should to him that he's saying like, that should mean that there's somebody who's sending that out. Mm -hmm. So
0: cool. Good stuff. So now we get to that last question. Mm -hmm. The third view
1: So also in the book, there's a paragraph before that note that he puts at the end about the third view. Uh And he says, this is when he says that he's not even within a hundred miles of God and that he's just saying that there's got like something is directing the universe is the only thing he said so far. But I love his final word in the last paragraph of the book. He says... There's been a great deal of soft soap talked about God for the last hundred years. That's not what I am offering. You can cut all that out, hmm. which makes me think that the next chapter is going to get real.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
0: And, and by the way, in my notes, it says that, uh, that his original 1940s, uh, radio broadcast that led to this book 10 years later, mm-hmm. basically did not include this particular, uh, worldview
1: right? yeah that's what he says in the book he he has there's a note at the end of this chapter and that's where it talks about this last view and he says that like he didn't in order to keep that segment of the radio short he didn't include this view because it's kind of a an an in-between view All right between the materialistic and religious and it's pretty interesting Um, he calls it the life force philosophy or like creative or emergent evolution. And as I was reading it, I wrote in my margins, oh, this sounds like, you know, earth mother or mother nature or all these things that people talk about when they give personification to the so-called universe, but they won't, they won't actually accept that there is a a divine creator Mm -hmm. because he talks about how like. People will attribute a mind to, like, to the universe, but it's kind of convenient for them. Um, like, they like if it's if it's beautiful outside and everything's going great, then they'll be like, "Oh, Mother Nature is so wonderful," but. On the other hand, if they're thinking about doing something they really shouldn't and that's not under the moral law, then they aren't. They forget about it. Yeah. They're like, eh, yeah, <laughs> don't need that, because that's troublesome. It's going to interfere. Um, but yeah, like it's it's this in between thing. So they might attribute a life force, but they don't think that it's like. It's not identical to religion because they don't think that like it has
0: purpose. So basically, some kind of life force is behind the universe. But if it, but it, if it is, it doesn't have any purpose or right. preference. It's, it's not
1: purposeful. It's
0: just chance. Uh, that sounds like the force from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, you know, and but the force
1: is supposed to guides you.
0: Well, so but there
1: is some purpose. But
0: you control the force. I mean, like like the Jedi's channel the force.
1: They channel. They, yes.
0: they. They. They you know, manipulate the force is really a better way to put it. Not, not control, but you know, and, and, um, but I don't, you know, I don't want to get into this philosophy of Jedis. I'm just saying that, that, that it's probably closer to that than anything, you know, this whole life force idea. Um,
1: like I said, it really reminds me of like the whole, mother nature thing well it's like oh thank so you for creating all this the atmosphere. author
0: of our study guide provides a nice little comparison chart the materialistic view most of its adherents as we pretty well guessed are darwinian evolutionists secular humanists marxists materialists you know mm-hmm. um the religious worldview or or Creation view is basically that most of the world's major religions hold that particular. But in the life force view, he says that this is kind of where you find creative people, uh, like creative evolutionists. They they don't believe in the strict, from nothing came everything. Mm -hmm. They believe that there's some force behind it, but they refuse to uh, have a, uh, uh, you know... To, to subject themselves to the authority of God right. is what it really boils down to. They like to. the
1: idea of a creator, but they don't want to be beholding to said creator.
0: He mentions George Bernard Shaw.
1: Yeah, he mentions him in the book.
0: Yeah. Emergent evolutionists. Well, you know, that's very interesting because I think we have a lot of people that come to church who try to, in fact, I think this is a major part of the argument. That's going on. There's a lot of arguments in the United Methodist Church, but the biggie probably comes down to uh, the question of a life force worldview and a religious worldview, because because the the religious worldview says that God is God separate from everything that God created and that God's authority is absolute and that our, our responsibility is to. Subject ourselves to God's authority to the best of our ability and to rely on God's power to help us become more conformed to God's expectations. Whereas the life force view basically says. Yeah, there's a creative power behind all of this, but he doesn't judge me, and I don't judge him, and God can do whatever God wants to do, and I for, forgive the he-she language, but well, I'm just he. saying, you know, they want a God that lives, that lets everything, you know, that's all good, don't worry about it. Well, you C.S. Know.
1: Lewis ends his note, and I just love it, because he says that the life force is basically the tame version of God, and he says, like, you can switch it off and on.
0: Tamed. all the
1: thrills of religion and none of the cost is what he says. And I love this last line that he says is the life force, the greatest achievement of wishful thinking the world has yet seen.
0: That's pretty amazing. And you know, is... <laughs> and, and, and C.S. Lewis, I believe would, because, because he also has written on love mm-hmm. and the four loves might be one of the things we do next mm-hmm. That's good because, because it's not as though, he's condemning anybody he's just saying that that your self determination your self will has everything to do with who you think is in charge and if you think you're in charge then that's pretty much of a evolutionary view of things mm-hmm. that that i have evolved to be the supreme and therefore i determine what's right and wrong and if you believe in a life force view then you're still holding that you have more authority over you than your, your life force. But, but your life force is very cooperative with your view of things, which, and a religious view is harder because it says God is absolute. But at
1: the same time, I feel like the materialistic and the life force view sound hard because then it's all on you.
0: Sure. Sure. And
1: if you believe that there's a God who is your law, Then when you're not sure what to do, you have someone divine to turn to. So years
0: ago, Mm -hmm. I took a training class over a week's time produced by Presbyterians, Calvinists, that taught you how to evangelize or share your faith with people. And it starts with two questions. If you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And if the person says yes, then the second question is, is if someone at the gates of heaven were to say, before I let you in, I just need to know why you think I should let you in. And most people will say, well, because I was a good person, because I didn't murder anybody, because I, because I didn't do anything really bad, you know, because my cat liked me, you know, whatever. And. And I, I don't mean that as condescending as it might sound, but, but we can all make justification for ourselves under the two worldviews that suggest that it's all random or it is not random, but, but the force behind it all doesn't judge me. You know, only the belief that God will judge you and that God has certain absolute standards Put you in a position of having to reconcile with that mm-hmm. you know and of course the christian idea is that it's through christ that we are allowed to be a part of god's eternal order good stuff mm-hmm. good stuff anything else you want to tell them or me mm, i
1: don't think
0: so okay well friends we're up at 45 minutes here and uh we uh, want to thank you for your, your continuing participation by listening faithfully. We're thanking uh, those who take the time to write to us on the Facebook group. Uh, you can join Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group by clicking the link that's in the description for this podcast. Or you can hunt it down in Facebook with a little diligence. You can learn more about Shiloh by going to shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And uh, you can come by and see us at Shiloh or contact us through email. But join the conversation. It really makes this fun. And to those of you who do regularly comment, thank you very much. Uh, We we really appreciate it. You stimulate our thought, and, and it inspires us to see how we may have stimulated yours. So for now, I guess we'll just say goodbye, and God bless you.
1: Bye.